Open your Bibles to Mark, the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, I should say, Mark 4. We uh, looked a couple weeks ago at the uh, parable and sower and the seed, as it's called, and we're going to continue looking at that passage in Mark 4. Let's read it together. Mark 4, verse 1. And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, Listen, or hear. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, And the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that, seeing, they may see and not perceive, and hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn in their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should be made known or come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Uh, This morning I want to ask three questions. The first question is this, why did Jesus teach in parables? Here in this passage, he tells us, so I'm glad I asked that question. After giving the parable, the the disciples and those with them, it says, came and said, well, we're not sure we understand this parable, so talk to us about it. 
And when he was explaining the parable, he said to them that there was a reason that he was now teaching in parables. Notice here um, in verse 11, he says, And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Why did Jesus teach in parables? He, he taught in parables to both conceal and to reveal. To conceal and reveal. First of all, Jesus taught in parables to actually conceal. Now you might be wondering, why would he do that? Doesn't God want us, doesn't God want people to know? Doesn't God want people to have light? Yes, he does. But there's a principle in God's dealing with men and it is simply this. Light that is resisted leads to light that is reduced. Light resisted means light reduced. When we follow the the chronology of the Gospels, what we see is that by this point in Jesus' ministry, the Jews had demonstrated their opposition to Jesus, had they not? If you recall, in chapter 3, Jesus is working miracles and... The, the Pharisees couldn't deny the reality of the miracles. The miracles were real. But instead of acknowledging that the miracles were the work of God, they attributed those miracles to the work of Satan. And they even said Jesus was operating by the power of Satan. That's pretty hard opposition, isn't it? So this was a culmination of their continued resistance to Jesus' ministry. And so there came a point in his ministry where now he began to teach in parables in order to actually begin to conceal the truth from them. And this is a universal principle in God's dealing with men. When he does this, he's actually doing two things. When When he's concealing truth, he is both acting in judgment and he's acting in mercy. Now that might sound like a contradiction, but... You need to listen. What do I mean? First of all, if men do not desire God's truth, then the Lord may merely choose to give them what they want. He gives them what they want. But He gives them what they want as a form of judgment for resisting the light. Uh, We're going to come back to Mark, but look at Proverbs chapter 1. This is just one example of many texts which address this uh, issue. Proverbs 1, verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the opening of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. And here's what she says. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn in my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. 
Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel, and they despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way, and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely, and will be secure without fear of evil. Uh, We see this principle all through God's word in his dealing with men. What we have to understand is that God is under no obligation to give us what we need while we continue to seek what we want. Did you hear that? He is under no obligation to give us what we need, which is light, while we are pursuing or choosing what we want. Rather, he may choose to give us exactly what we want. And thus it results in what Amos calls a famine in the land. And when God's people, Israel, in in numerous situations, rejected the Lord's counsel and they wouldn't listen to the Lord, but the Lord says, I I, I raise up my prophets, I sent my prophets early in the morning, I sent my prophets in the afternoon, I've repeatedly reached out to you, I've, I've spoken to you faithfully, I've pleaded with you, and you would not hear, then God says, okay, you can have what you want. And I, and I think of Psalm 106 where, where uh, the psalmist says that God gave them quail in the wilderness, but he sent leanness to their souls. So he gave them what they want, but what they wanted didn't turn out so well, did it? As the old adage goes, be careful what you wish for. Or as Jesus said, beware that the light that is in you, beware. That it's not darkness. So God may choose to allow people to simply have their own way. And if they choose to to not have light, if they do not want light, then God often withdraws his light. That is a form of judgment. But the Lord also may conceal his truth as an act of mercy. And this may sound strange, because it might sound like a contradiction. But what what we have to understand is by giving some people less light... In the end, it's a manifestation of His mercy. Why? Because more light means more accountability. Less light, less accountability. And so by decreasing the light to those who God knows will not hear, they will not repent, it's actually merciful because it decreases their future judgment. So in the self-same act, well, God is both... Showing judgment, he's also showing mercy. And thus, I, I'm, I'm reminded of, of Paul's words in Romans 11, where he says, Oh, the depths of the wisdom of God. Who can understand his ways, right? Yet even more, for on the one hand, while parables, Jesus said, were to conceal, so that seeing they would not see, and hearing they would not hear, they're also de- designed to reveal. Jesus did not fully, at least during his earthly ministry, he did not fully withdraw the light. He continued to preach, he continued to heal. But now his teaching was through a veil, if you will. 
It was less accessible. It was a little more obscure to those outside. And, and so thus, those only who truly wanted to know could know. That's why Jesus spoke then about uh, how the truth now was hidden a little bit deeper and he told us the parable of the leaven or the parable of the seed, which is inside, you can't see it. Now the truth was a little more costly to attain. So Jesus told, told us the parables of the, of the treasure or the, or the pearl. The truth was there for those who had ears to hear. The thing we we need to understand is that God always speaks. God always has been speaking, and God always will speak. As a matter of fact, one of God's names, one of Jesus' names is Lagos, word. It could be translated sermon. In the beginning was the sermon. It could be translated discourse. In the beginning was the discourse. In the beginning was the homily. In the beginning was the message. In the beginning was reason. In the beginning was logic. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was a message from God. It is God's very nature to speak and to reveal and to communicate. Tozer, um, in his book, The Pursuit of God, if you haven't read it, you need to read it. He says this. He says... He, he quotes John 1.1, 1, 1, which is, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then he says this, An intelligent, plain man, untaught in the truths of Christianity, coming upon this text, would likely conclude that John meant to teach that it is the nature of God to speak, to communicate his thoughts to others. And he would be right. A word is a medium by which thoughts are expressed and the application of the term to the eternal Son leads us to believe that self-expression is inherent in the Godhead. That God is forever speaking or seeking to speak himself out to his creation. The whole Bible supports this idea. God is speaking. Not God spoke. God is speaking. He is, by the nature, by his nature, continuously articulate. He fills the world with his speaking voice. And he goes on and says this. Whoever will listen will hear the speaking heaven. This is definitely not the hour, meaning our age, when men take kindly to an exhortation to listen. For listening is not today a part of popular religion. We are at the opposite end of the pole from there. Religion has accepted the monstrous heresy that noise, size, activity, and bluster make a man dear to God. But we may take heart. To a people caught in the tempest of the last great conflict, God says, Be still and know that I am God. And still he says it, as if he means to tell us that our strength and safety lie not in noise, but in silence. It is important that we get still and wait on God. It is best that we get alone, preferably with their Bible outspread before us. Then if we will, we may draw near to God and begin to hear Him speak to us in our hearts. Isn't that good? God spoke. God is speaking. It's His very nature to do so. We know that God speaks 
in both nature and in His Word. Look at Psalm, uh, look at Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line or chord, meaning a musical chord, has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. This is what we call natural revelation. It is God speaking through nature, even though there's no articulate word, still God speaks. <clears throat> he reveals himself, his glory, his power through nature. But now he turns his, att- his attention to the word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Don't you want to say amen? Amen. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So God speaks through nature. God speaks through His Word, and God also speaks through His Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 14 as an example. John 14, Jesus says in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, or counselor, or teacher, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Chapter 16. Jesus says, In verse 7 of chapter 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. John tells us also in his uh, first epistle that God has given to us an anointing that we might understand all things, meaning the things that he has revealed to us. So God reveals himself or speaks through nature. God speaks through the written word. God speaks through his Holy Spirit. So how is it then with God speaking 
Yet some still do not hear. How does this happen? Or why does this happen? So this leads to the second question that we want to ask. The first question was, why did Jesus teach in parables? The second question is this. Why is this parable of the sower and the seed so important? Now go back to Mark, and I want you to notice uh, something here in verse 13. Mark says something here in verse 13 of chapter 4 that is not recorded in the other Gospels, but it's very important. Here in verse 13, before he actually explains the parable, he says to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? In other words, he's saying, there's something about this parable which is special. And if you understand this parable, then you will have a key which will help you unlock all the other parables. So we have to understand this parable in order to understand all the others. So what is it about this parable that we must understand in order to understand the others? What is, what is the, the lesson that this parable teaches us which will help us with all the others? What's the basic point of the parable? Well, it's not the sower. It's not the seed. Rather, it is a parable about the soil. Now, we call this parable the sower and the seed, which is ironic because those are the two things it's not really about. It's really been misnamed. It should be called the parable of the soils. Or the parable of the four soils, if you want to be specific. So what is the point, then? The point of this parable, if we were to sum it up, is this. Are you listening? Say yes. The benefit of the word does not lie in the sower, nor even in the seed, but in the heart of those who hear. Did you hear? In order to understand the other parables, indeed, in order to understand all of the word of God, it is required that we have a certain kind of soil in our heart, if you will. In other words, those with the right heart will understand all the parables because the seed only grows in good soil. That which obscures truth or light is not the form in which it is delivered. It is not primarily the parabolic form or any other form. Rather, it is the state of the heart. Therefore, in order to understand all the parables... As Jesus said, we must understand this one. And this one teaches us that the key to understanding the word lies not in a gifted teacher, not in a Bible translation, not in a doctrinal book. The key to understanding the word lies in the condition of the heart. And the condition of our heart will determine the light that we see. Therefore, Jesus in Mark 4, gave us a warning. Look at verse 24. Well, after saying in verse 23, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said, Take heed, 
or beware what you hear, or as Luke puts it, how you hear. He's saying the same thing. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. But whoever have, for whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Do you feel the weight of this verse? Because what the Lord is saying is that we hear what we want to hear. We hear what we want to hear. But what we want to hear depends on the condition of our heart. This is a solemn truth indeed. And this is why Jesus at times in his ministry, he seems so callous sometimes, doesn't he? He says things like, let the dead bury the dead. He says, let the blind lead the blind, as if he doesn't care. Why does he say such things? Because he knew that no amount of teaching and instruction would benefit those with a bad heart. You know, in in the whole abortion debate, many people in the pro-life movement still think that if we tell people the unborn baby is a baby, that they'll stop killing the babies. It's not true. They know they're babies. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't state that truth. We should make it very clear. But we we often fall under the, the, uh, I believe, the um, error of assuming that people who are rejecting light just need more light. You know, if someone is really blind... It doesn't matter how much light you put in front of their eyes, they won't see it. Why? Because they're blind. More light doesn't fix a blind eye. You need to change the eye. You don't need to increase the light. Are you hearing me? The problem is in the the reception organ called the heart. I've read articles by... Uh, professors from elite, the, the, the elitist schools in the country, who clearly say that they know the unborn baby is a baby, and they still say it's okay to kill it. Some even say after it's born, the mother should have a right to, for a number of months to decide if she wants to keep the baby or kill it. No, no more amount of light can help that person. Because the problem is not ignorance. The problem is a bad heart. It's a bad heart. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Because if our heart is bad, we'll not understand the parables. Indeed, we will not understand the word. We'll not benefit from the word because of the heart we bring to the word. More of the same won't change the outcome. If the sower put more and more seed on the hard ground, it wouldn't matter. The birds would still take it away. If you put more and more seed in the the weed-infested ground, it wouldn't have mattered because the weeds would just continue to eat it. The, The problem was the ground. The problem wasn't the seed. The problem wasn't the sower. But if the heart is right, then the sight will be clear. That's why Jesus says, He that has, he will receive more. So if you come to the word with an honest and candid heart, 
then God gives light because that light is welcome. But when we come with a bad heart, we don't receive light. Or if we receive light, it doesn't do any good because of our inward condition. If we do not receive from the word, the problem is not the word. For God's word is pure and perfect. God's word gives light. His word gives life. His word gives joy. But only in the proper soil. So, this parable is fundamental to all parables. It's fundamental, really, to understanding any aspect of the word. And that is to say that we only profit from the word based upon the condition of our heart. And so, it is vitally important that we have a right heart. Luke says a good and noble heart. I love that. So, you see, we must be careful. We that have our Bibles, we that hear sermons regularly, we must be careful that we do not fall into the danger of hearing but not hearing. Or seeing but not seeing. I have a great example of this. Uh, I think I've told this story before. A long time ago, I, I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount and I was dealing with the text where Jesus was talking about anger and about resolving issues with your brother. <clears throat> and I gave a pretty clear sermon on anger and how anger was a bad thing. <clears throat> so after the sermon, the worship team came up and did a song or two. By the time I got from here to the back of the church, there were two people in the foyer having a heated, angry argument. And they had sat through the sermon. Yeah, we laugh. But you can hear, but not hear. And it's a frightening thing. It's a, it's a very scary thing. The Jews, remember, who were rejecting Jesus' ministry, they believed that they were right. They thought they had the light. They, they, they were calling him darkness. Which is why the Lord warns us. He says, be careful lest, you, lest the light that is in you is darkness. Be careful. Be careful how you hear. Be careful what you are hearing. Be careful how you're discerning or think you're discerning. Be careful how you're judging. I, I've given sermons where people say to me, uh, will comment on the sermon and they, they will tell me I said things that I did not say. I mean, I didn't say them. And you can go listen to the recording. I didn't say what they heard, but they heard it. I remember one time giving a sermon years ago. This is back in the Clinton Bush days. A woman got up and stormed out in the middle of the sermon. Like, that's probably good. No, um, I get a, I get a phone call later. From saying, you told, you said in that sermon that if I'm a Christian, I have to vote for George Bush. I said, I'll give you a recording of the sermon. I didn't say that. Well, she heard that, but I didn't say that. Of course, she came into church and she was very pro-abortion. And so she left, assuming I said something I didn't say. She heard something I didn't say. And so you can hear things that aren't there. 
And you cannot hear things that are there. And Jesus says that our hearing is the key that unlocks the Word of God. Because without a good heart, the seed won't grow. Right? It doesn't matter how many sermons that you hear. If you don't bring the right heart, you won't benefit from the sermons. It doesn't work that way. There's a lot that a preacher can do. He can prepare and study. He can pray and get all ready. He can do his best to deliver. But you know what? In the final analysis, the soil he cannot control. And that's why Spurgeon said, as I I quoted uh, him a couple weeks ago, that not only does the preacher need to prepare for the sermon, but the hearers need to prepare also. Right? So let me conclude with a question that we'll answer later. And this is a question for you to ponder. If it's really true that the key is the condition of a heart, if that's really true, as, as we look at the, the parable of the, the soils, the question each one of us should be asking ourselves is this. Which soil am I? As I look at the four soils, the hard soil, the shallow soil, the weed-infested soil, and the good soil, which soil represents my heart? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And that's the question I want to leave with you, and we'll talk about it next week. But I exhort you to ponder this question. Because the answer to this question has profound ramifications for you. Because the condition of your heart will determine what you see and what you hear. Profound implications. Let's pray. Lord... I thank you for all the light you've given us. I thank you that we have your word. I thank you that we have your word in our own language. I thank you that every family here has at least one Bible in their home. And I pray, Lord, that they would read it. I thank you, Lord, that we can gather freely, at least for now, and study your word publicly. I thank you, Lord, that we have so many resources available if we desire to study your word. We thank you for all the light you have given us. But I pray, Lord, that we would be worthy of that light and that we would walk as children of light. That we would walk in the light as you are the light. I pray, Lord, for each of us to truly take the time to evaluate our hearts because you have warned us to take heed how we hear. Help us to take this word very seriously, Lord. I ask that you would Guard us, Lord, from self-deception. 
Help us to respond faithfully and honestly to the light you have given us. We pray this all, Lord, in your name, so that we might live in a way that honors you. Amen.